Welcome to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that is different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We're also brought to you by Aria Benefits. We help business leaders to not only attract top talent, but more importantly, not to lose those great people. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host, the famous bike rider, the man in the spandex on the weekends, Al McDonald. Al, how's your day going? Well, it's going really well. Had a great day so far of some interesting and talented guests that we've been interviewing. I'm looking forward to our our next guest. And Al, just because we will be in the month of August in a couple of days, uh, what are you doing in August that's uh, pretty special in my mind? Another crack at the Great Cycle Challenge, which is a fundraising effort for uh, children with cancer. And I did this last year and rode 500 kilometers. This year, I've upped the ante and I've got 600 kilometers as my goal. So I'll be on my bike on Monday, which is the first day of the challenge and uh, trying to put up some serious mileage. Great goal. And if people want to follow along, just uh, go to Al's LinkedIn page and you'll be able to see all the information there. I'm super excited about today's guest. Really excited to talk to her. My first conversation was really, really good. So looking forward to the podcast chat. Joining us today is Karis Cook, Chief People Officer at Swift Medical. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast today with Robin and Al. Really excited for our conversation today. Yeah, me too. And and I always like to start at, you know, kind of the top Swift Medical. Can you just give us the Reader's Digest version of who they are, what they do, that sort of thing, and then we'll dive into it. Yes. So Swift Medical is a rapidly scaling organization in uh, the Toronto tech ecosystem. We launched a platform about six years ago called Swift Skin and Wound, and it is the world's most advanced healthcare imaging platform that's focused entirely on wound care. Really cool. Wow. You know, the podcast is such a great platform to just chat with really interesting people with really interesting backgrounds. And I will say you're the first in this arena. So this is really interesting. But what I wanted to get to today, because I always find it fascinating for how people end up where they are. Is is it by chance? Is it by design? So maybe you can tell us a little bit about your career journey and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this won't answer your question in the beginning, but I will get there, I promise. I guess if I can sum up my career philosophy sort of in a sentence, that would be always aim to be the hardest working person in the room. Important to qualify that statement, though, of course. That doesn't mean I work longer hours than everyone else or that my life is all career all the time. It's far from that. It really just means I sort of tell myself, show up as your very best self in that particular moment and, and push yourself every single day. So how can I do better, be better, lead better? And that really looks different depending on the day. So, you know, we don't always have good days and, you know, get enough sleep, whatever stuff happens in life. But no matter what, I'm always pouring in as much effort and passion into my work as I can muster every single day. So that sort of 
you know, to frame who I am as, as a human. But as far as my actual journey, I started my career as a professional chef. So nothing to do with people. And I often get a question like, how did you transition from one to the other? How does that even make sense? But it does. So I had this romantic picture of what it was going to be like, you know, sharing ideas, being creative, surrounded by the finest ingredients and playing with food all day and happy customers. And it was really anything but that, although we did have the finest ingredients, but it was a very dark place for me. And you know, quickly realized that people were really treated as a commodity and thought of as easily replaceable, disrespected, paid abysmal amount of money for the time and literal blood, sweat and tears that went into the work. And particularly as a woman, and I mean, this was 20 plus years ago, mind you, and I'm sure things have changed, but I was really not welcome in the professional kitchen. It was not a place for a female to be. So that was really the catalyst of, you know, propelling me into this, this field of, of HR, which I didn't even really know was a thing at the time. I just kind of thought to myself, like, there has to be something that protects people. And, you know, without people, you don't have a company and you can't be successful. So like, where, where's the protection for people? And then, you know, imagine if you treated people well, set them up for success valued and rewarded them for hard work, supported their growth. Imagine what that would be like versus an atmosphere of like, we're all afraid to even breathe and do the wrong thing and make the wrong move. And, um, you know, you're going to be fired tomorrow and, and that kind of atmosphere. And so like really any journey, it is a journey. So there's like no linear path to get anywhere and really, you know, didn't go through, you know, a linear path to where I, I am today lots of struggles and triumphs along the way. But and I actually told a story on, on LinkedIn last week about how I got my first role in HR, which really started at, at the very beginning in an organization as an admin assistant, spent almost 12 years working my way through that organization that gave me this amazing opportunity in the beginning and went, you know, from sort of office administrator to an HR role through like just asking to you know, recognizing that there was a need for HR and then swallowing all of my anxiety and fear and just asking if I could go to school to study it. And they said, yes. <laughs> like, and, you know, the amount of times I practiced that conversation or decided I wasn't going to have it and I just couldn't do it. And then finally did. And the answer was yes. So really, you know, from that moment on working my way up, learning on the job, making a ton of mistakes, learning what not to do again, and then taking a very methodical approach to the companies that I chose to work with and the different CEOs that I chose to, to work with as well. And then, you know, that the whole idea of, of being the hardest working person in the room, or at least trying to be putting my heart and soul into every single organization, and then really building up that reputation for putting the human back in HR, you know, changing that the role from HR to people taking that balanced approach of doing the right thing, both for the company and for the people, really connecting those two things so they weren't so far apart. Yeah. And just working to build these sustainable, strong cultures within organizations. And of course, none of this happens alone. <laughs> so I wasn't, you know, solely out there doing it myself and, you know, have so much respect and awe of the people that I've worked with over the years and the tremendous people, people that I've worked with and the CEOs and, and other leaders. 
that really believed in me and, and gave me the autonomy to implement different and, and sometimes what seemed to be out there ideas at the time. So that takes a lot of courage. Would you consider yourself competitive? Interesting question. Let me frame that for you because <laughs> the reason I asked you that is, you know, you talk about being the hardest working person in the room and that doesn't necessarily mean the longest hours, right? But bringing your full self because to me, you know, over 80 episodes in talking with very successful people like yourselves, there's a theme there. There's a theme, you know, people who want to win are going to find a way. And there was so much there. I mean, our editor and the person who pulls out the nuggets of audio gold that we promote is going to have a field day with you because there's so much there in your first answer that we can use. It's great. But, you know, I also heard you say when you were on the admin side and you just asked, right? So that's why I asked about the competitive because I consider myself competitive. I consider myself not a workaholic because I won't work, you know, night and day. But when I am working, I'm laser focused and I want to win. And that win isn't necessarily financial. It's a win for the company. It's a win for the people that we support, the employees. So that was the context of the question. And as a follow-up, I'll let you answer that. But as a follow-up, to be successful in your role, do you need to be competitive? In a word, yes. 100%. Not competitive against other people. Often when you say that, like, are you competitive? Like people think you want to win against people. I want to win for people. And also to be my very best self in everything. So like, I also am competitive outside of an athlete. So Al, you were talking about cycling. I also do uh, ultra racing and mountain sort of trail races and, and stuff so and that's something that I've always done I started off as a gymnast when I was three I think and then you know had worked my way through sort of the sports world did track for a while and then I've always been some sort of an athlete whether it's running or or obstacle course racing or now trail running that that I'm absolutely in love with so yes <laughs> That's what I thought. Good answer. So I would like to take a little part of your previous answer and dissect it a little bit because you use the term HR quite a bit, but then right at the end, you said, I really have focused on transitioning up from HR into people. So can you talk a little bit about that, about maybe why you don't like the term HR as much and you prefer to use the word, you know, people officer or people person or people leader? Absolutely. And I could probably fill an entire podcast with this answer, but I will try to be as brief as I can. So I would say I have an unquenchable passion for people. So this really profound belief that every person is capable of so much. And that looks different for every single individual, depending on so many internal and external factors. And I rarely give up on people. They are usually first to give up on themselves before I will. And then I'm also a great believer in pushing past your comfort zone, probably goes back to the competitive question, and to do all the things that scare you the most. And my sort of meter for that is if it makes you want to throw up, lean into that do that thing. I mean, obviously, as long as it's not going to harm you in any way and all of those caveats, but it's what I encourage and how I show up, I hope, as a leader. So human resources to me, this is what it sounds like to me, (laughs) strip mining people's souls for money. So I've always equated traditional HR to the principal's office at school. 
go there to fill out a form or you check in if you're late. And it's also where you go to be disciplined. And the people role as it sort of transformed to be over the years is really about organizational health, growth and development, aligning people programs to ensure that the goals and the vision of the company are supported, creating excellence around team member experiences, supporting culture, all of that area of stuff. And of course, yes, there's the administrative things that you need to do, but that's not the focus of the role. So when people are thinking about the role that I play in an organization, I don't want them to be thinking about the principal's office. You know, that's, I've never thought of it that way, but as soon as you said the principal's office, I remember, especially in my younger career, going to HR, and that's exactly, that's exactly what it felt like, right? To fill in that form. Let's dive a little bit further into that, because I think there are misconceptions about the role of, you know, people officer or HR or whatever we're calling it. What do you think those misconceptions are? You know, this is something that I was trying not to get emotional about because it's like what I fought, fought my entire career against. So that we are not strategic, that we don't understand business, that all we do all day is hire and fire people. We are just a cost center and something that you have to have just to keep compliant, but you don't really want to have or scary. Can't be yourself around us. The amount of times really that in my career that I've entered a room, like even virtually, even today, and people stop talking about you jars here, you can't speak your mind, you'll get fired. It's really like hurtful to the people behind that. The fact is that we're the only department that is referred to by our title and not by our own names. HR is here, not Karis is here. And you know, I am a person, we are people too. Another big misconception is that HR doesn't need HR. <laughs> so, you know, who do we go to when we're struggling? You know, also that we have all the answers, which we don't. And when we don't, especially today in like this, you know, the last couple of years, we've had none of the answers. We've had to figure it out all along the way. But if we don't give you the answer, then we're hiding something or we don't care. Another big one is that we're only here for the business and not to support the people. So it's not a safe place to go. And it, it really is a giant role with so much responsibility. The portfolio of um, any people professional is it's so vast. It like spans the entire organization and every single person within that organization is almost like ultimately your responsibility which is a lot of responsibility and historically without a lot of respect given to the role. So it, it's hard and, and it's lonely. I imagine the last two years would have been incredibly challenging in your space because to your point, you know, you don't always have all the answers, right? And I think we just lived through a time where nobody had the answers. We hadn't been through this in recent time, at least, and there was no playbook, right? So I imagine it must have been frustrating for people in your space to have people coming to you to looking for answers and maybe not having one right away. I can imagine that would be pretty uh, pretty tough spot to be in. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it was also though a a really wonderful time to lean into your vulnerability and just say none of us have the answers right now and be really really honest with people. Like we're going to get through this together. I need your help. 
let's figure it out. But it was also a time that opened up the people to each other. So I actually literally posted about this yesterday on LinkedIn, where, you know, I was just saying that it typically has been so closed off that we've been really warm and welcoming to each other just as people in general. But all of our practices and the things that we were doing for our organizations were very, very, like held very closely that you didn't want anybody to figure out what it was that you were doing because they might create a better organization than you. But we were all lost. <laughs> you know, we were thrown into this world where none of us knew what to do. So we started reaching out to each other. So through the pandemic, I have built just such an incredible network of other people professionals that I probably never would have done if it didn't happen. So like, try to look for the good in, in these big moments that happen in life. Yeah, and I think, Robin, you can attest to this. We've seen a lot of that even from our own podcast guests, and, and we've had some other people on here who have talked about that very thing, reaching out to other HR professionals, sorry, people professionals <laughs> like yourself and being able to learn from them. I want to ask you a question because some of the answers you've given have already alluded to this and, and probably bounced around a little bit. But why do you think it's key to have people like yourself and in your role with a, a seat at the senior leadership table? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I mean, I could leave it with one sentence. Every single decision that you make as a company impacts people. I believe it was Adam Grant that said recently, leaders are people, CEOs are people, boards are people, customers are people, team members are people. Everybody that you're dealing with in business is a person. So without the perspective of someone who is always thinking about your people often leads to decisions that are made without your biggest success factor in mind. And that is your people. It's quite amazing the decisions that I have seen personally stopped in their tracks that could have actually been quite devastating to companies when that perspective is brought to the table. And then, I mean, if we go back to the misconceptions, people, 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 professionals don't understand business. Well, if we're not at the table, then how can we understand business? And how can we align people programs to business goals that are going to drive performance? It is essential to effectively doing our jobs and providing that strategic leadership. We just have to be deeply immersed in the conversations around that table. So I'll just say it again. Every single decision you make as a company impacts people. So very true. Kiris, the other day, the partners and I were, were doing some coaching. And of course, anytime you do coaching, you do these reports where it comes back and it says, oh, you're this and you're that. And we got on the topic of empathy and how important that is with our people. I would think specifically with your role, let me reframe that. What would you say, or how does empathy come into play in your role specifically? I think it's almost everything, especially as we've gone through the past several years of the pandemic, where all of our worlds changed so dramatically, so instantaneously, and work and life just collided in ways that we never imagined that they would. So homes became workplaces, workplaces are homes. I mean, that's really not changing anytime soon, um, at least not for Swift. So, you know, we've ended up building so much flexibility into our practices as a result of that, that never would have been looked at in the past. You know, we were very much a Monday to Friday, 
in the office, you had to be seen kind of culture. And I really believe that empathetic leadership is the way of the future. If you don't have the ability to see something from another person's perspective, I actually honestly believe that you don't really have a place in this profession anymore. And that is sort of cascading through leadership, not just for the people professionals, all people leaders. And that our people deserve that from us. And quite frankly, they demand it of us now. And without empathy, you really can't build trust. And without trust, people won't share. And we need people to share. So I think, you know, it's, it's empathy coupled with vulnerability. So the give and take of I'll be vulnerable with you. So then you can be vulnerable with me. And then when you take that chance, which is really, really scary, then I'm going to ask questions to seek to understand more deeply rather than firing you for saying something or you getting in trouble or being punished in any way for, for giving me that gift of truth. It also allows us to provide the proper supports for individuals because everybody has different lives and different perspectives. And we've seen it come through so much as we have had literally a view into people's homes and that, you know, everybody has a different kind of situation, whether you have children or pets or, you know, a difficult relationship or roommates or whatever's going on in your personal world has just come to the forefront that we've never recognized people truly as their whole selves before. We said we did, but we didn't necessarily. So being able to see people wholly and then provide the solutions that are going to truly support them only can come from that that place of empathy. I loved everything you just talked about, but toward the end, you know, you talked about we're at a different time now because we're coming into people's homes virtually, right? And I remember if I go back pre-pandemic, you know, I'd show up at, let's say your office, for example, to meet you and I'd be in a suit and look professional and so would you. And we'd have a professional conversation at the boardroom and then I'd jump in my car and, and go back. And I remember when we first started doing these virtual appointments, And the very first time someone's three-year-old daughter ran in to the meeting and I get off that call and I was so happy because we all had a giggle. For me, I think I've been able to develop stronger, deeper relationships because these things do happen. Or, you know, you just talked about your cat wanted to go out. And we've had so many cats walk by the screen in a meeting. And what I love is now that's just par for the course. People don't get upset if, you know, uh, someone runs into the room. I mean, that's just that's just normal life. So I think we've had to adapt. And I just loved what you said also about, you know, having that environment of trust where you can be vulnerable. And I know for Al and I running a company and our other partner, Joe, that's something really important to us. We do want people to be able to feel, hey, listen, this is a safe environment where if you come talk to us about this, you're not going to be judged on that. You're not going to be fired for that. We're going to have an open conversation. And are we perfect at that? No. But I think when you talk about empathy, that's such an important trait or skill set or whatever you want to call it. I do have another question that as our conversation has unfolded, I want to ask you, you had talked about what HR used to be and how it's changed and what you think it is now in terms of more of a a people-focused role. So my question is, if that's what you've seen change in the last number of years, 
whether that's five, 10, 20 years, what do you think the role looks like in the future in five, 10 or 20 years? What I would like to see changed is in one particular area. I mean, there's, there's many things, but this is the one thing that has really been standing out to me as this piece of work is in the wrong place. If we really want to make this a true people focused department is terminations. So I just find it such a clash. I spend so much time building these trusting, wonderful relationships with people. I'm invested in their growth and development. I passionately believe that they can be their best selves. And then maybe something happens in the business or performance or whatever the reason is that that employment relationship has to come to an end. And then I'm the person sitting in the room with them sharing that news. It contributes to the principal's office sort of theory. It's where it's always sat. It's made sense for years. I don't think it makes sense anymore. Where to put it? I always joke, oh, finance should have it. <laughs> but the CFO doesn't like that answer. Where it goes, you know, that's sort of the, uh, another thing. But that's what I would really like to see changed because then we can truly come into our own and like we are absolutely in that space of building people up, building organizations, creating, you know, we can be part of the decision because we are part of organizational structure and, and making sure that we have the right people in the right seats. Just to be in that final conversation just feels completely like it's off for, for the role at this point. Very good. Well, what a conversation. I mean, if you're open to it, we'd love to have you back on the show because this has been so good. I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing not only your journey, but your insights as well. I think the audience is going to get a lot out of this. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at Swift Medical? Yes, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm probably the only Carol's cook that you will find, but my picture is there and they'll say Chief People Officer at Swift Medical, so you can find me there or by email at karis.cook at swiftmedical.com. Okay, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues. And remember, it all starts with one.